from the land of adventure and diversity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. I've been teaching martial arts for more than a decade and a half now. Martial arts for me is about sharing a culture, but ultimately also wanting to improve people's quality of life in terms of being physically healthier and mentally healthier. And I have a lot of joy in seeing how people develop in their martial career. Look at your left hand and up and gradually open, stretch up your fingertips. You know, my father was held in high esteem by many, many, many uh, top martial arts instructors in South Africa. Everyone knew who he was. You know, I dare say one of the first people to have a multicultural martial arts school during apartheid. I don't know every single dojo around, but I, I, I was definitely one of the first person to pioneer to everyone. It was, uh, it was actually quite a mixed race. In those days, uh, whites weren't allowed to go, go into the location too. You can get arrested for that. So this is, um, this is my grandmother, my dad's mum, my mum's mum, my mum's grandmother. Being in South Africa as a Chinese person, sometimes you, you really don't feel like you belong because of the way people treat you, you know, the, you know, mocking your language or your name. I didn't think about it then, but speaking, if you can say good English, was definitely a way to try and survive a sort of a Western school. My parents had always encouraged my sister and myself to draw at a very young age. Uh, my father would play all these little games with us where he would maybe draw like a, like a, he would squiggle a line and then we need to make an image out of that. Uh, Jardine's a funny name for a Chinese, but uh, my grandfather's name is actually Jaktin. When he came to South Africa, they asked him what's his name, and he said, my name is uh, Jaktin. So it became, he became a surname instead. So uh, that's how it got stuck with Jardine. So in Chinese culture, you generally, you, you generally sort of announce your surname first because they want to know what family you're from before your name. Uh, my Cantonese name is Liu Gin Man. So, um, you know, so I still, for most Chinese people who came to the country, we have our Western names, but we also still have our Chinese names that relates us back to our culture and if you can say our, our heritage. It was encouraged by my parents that, you know, you need to find a career that's going to be stable. So I went and did actuarial science. I got accepted. I subsequently failed horribly in actuarial science. So I did applied mathematics and also it just, it just wasn't working for me. So after all of that, yeah, it was a, it, it was a bit of a difficult period for me mentally afterwards. And then I, I spoke to my father about the possibility of maybe helping him teach. And it was a grueling six years of training, if I can say, for my father. 
It was a tough relationship because you have this idea of father and son and then teacher and student. Look, he's, he's always had quite a, like, a peasant-type personality, you know, and, 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 and that's what people say in school. Uh, they say that I'm too strict, you know, whereas Lee's very approachable, he's more, much more likable, and that's fine, because he's not me, I'm not him, so, you know. You know, I thought I would be an engineer, maybe. No, I didn't think I would be pursuing the martial arts like he did. So I had been dating this young lady for six years and we got married and three years later it didn't work out and I subsequently got divorced. I just fell, I dare say, into a very deep depression. Teaching the martial arts, I think it kept me from doing anything stupid, if you can say. And then I found my old uh, drawing book and I saw there was a drawing there that I hadn't finished since my early varsity days. So this was 2014. So it was a good 13 years prior to that that I had started this drawing. Yeah, and I only had finished about maybe this much yeah, of, the, of the drawing. And then, you know, then uh, in about 2014, I think this was the first drawing I decided that I'm going to finish. And then when I did, there was a sense of, small sense of accomplishment. And then the more I drew, the more I felt like I could get myself out of this hole. And then, you know, I just thought as I was carrying on drawing, what if I did something constructive with this? And then, and I looked at the Witt School of Fine Art. When I first wanted to do this, I said, oh no, uh, because you did so badly in those initial years of university, you've actually been excluded from the Witt's program. So I had to write a letter of motivation to get back in. Since then, I never looked back. I enrolled. And definitely the four most uplifting years of my life. Not easy, but definitely uplifting. I remember our first year, we all arrived here, there's about 60 of us. And then I just remember this, hey, this man walking in again. And I was like, I had no idea who he was. And he introduced himself as Professor Carl Nell. And he said he would be taking us with drawing. Yeah, and I suppose that's where everything in my life changed. Yeah. I think uh, come in uh, through Liz's entrance. Uh, Thomas will open open for you, and then uh, and then just uh, walk across the lawn, and we'll meet you. Okay. See you. Bye. I'm uh, Carl Nell, and uh, I'm awaiting Lee Jodine to arrive. We do keep in touch, but I haven't seen him for almost probably about a year. Yeah, hello, my dear man. How wonderful to see you. 
Oh, it's beautiful. It's too long. It's too long. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. I met uh, Lee in my first year drawing course. Uh, he uh, was very tall. Uh, he was uh, a slightly older student. Um, and uh, with that, he brought with him an experience of life. Uh, and uh, he soon sort of became really in, in many ways the, the keeper of the class. <laughs> there was something about Carl that had quite an incredible presence about him. And, you know, he didn't command any kind of respect, but, you know, every, when, when he spoke, everyone listened. They are used in... Um, in dance and in warfare and is a ceremonial ads, um, which would have come from Swaziland, which has got this very beautiful form. Gee, this is an interesting piece, Carl. So that's from the Pacific. Again, uh, it's a, a piece that would have been um, danced in a, almost like in a martial arts-like way. It's, it's like an ability to see the world for what it is and appreciate it for what it is. And Carl was always really amazing at that, that he found beauty in almost everything. He really opened my eyes and I was, and all of a sudden, like it just felt, it felt like I had transformed into like a, a sort of a different person. And then I remember Dorothy Kreutzfeldt, who we head popping in the office, and that was an amazing interaction. One day when I came to campus and to the department, I saw that Lee was having a meeting, or he was sitting in the meeting with our then head of department. It was nice because obviously it's a kind of a peculiar kind of reversal of roles, because he had been essentially my instructor, or Sifu for a couple of years in Tai Chi. So the roles were reversed. These are some drawings I did in the Kruger. But, so this was my second year course. So what I would do, unfortunately, I only have these images here. But, but every time I would draw on the wall and then I would react at a certain point in time on the wall. Um, my, so I'd perform with my drawing. In this, in this instance here especially, this is a typical Tai Chi straight sword form that I do. Okay, so you can see how I react to it. And okay, I sort of made this spiral. And my feeling was of something carrying on forever. It's the traces themselves that remain, but it's in the performance that something is in fact an active. And so, those movements which are quite free-flowing are actually quite beautiful in their abstraction, but also very, very evident in the repetition. You get to a certain state of doing, and when you are completely involved in your doing, sometimes the time just disappears because you're just so focused on what you do. Sometimes it, it can feel like a lifetime. Sometimes it can feel like an instant. It's, a, it's quite an incredible way of thinking of meditation. 
for me, what was interesting is that it was it was starting to kind of manifest some of the maybe more Eastern ways of thinking around space, void, bodies, um, breath, and so on. And the fact that it wasn't sort of so obvious um, and so forced, that, that was interesting for me. So I think the growth is maybe one that, that reflects sort of a moment of an really inhabiting, embodying, and, and, and running with a sense of one's own imagination, but also kind of finding one's own artistic voice. These are all martial training tools, okay? and I'd use that training to uh, apply my um, my paint, if you can say, onto a surface. This is called a Congo Ken, and this is one of the a kind of object that I used to make paintings with as well, where I would have my paint or glue. I actually use glue and pigment mixed together to make the paint. So all of my work uh, at the end of my fourth year was based on my martial training. I remember going into first year, you know, I was, I was mildly terrified about being one of the oldest people in the class. And I remember seeing this very shy little Chinese man. And eventually we became good friends. Shelton, how are you guys? <laughs> Long time. Good to see you. <laughs> How's it going? Very well. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. This is the high school creative arts and visual art classroom. Yes. Uh, you know, teach well, creative arts, what we used to call arts and culture back in And what, do you teach every medium? No, it's, it's mostly visual art. So that's exciting. You got accepted into the Royal Academy of Arts. The in Royal London. College. Yeah, College, college Royal, Royal College of Arts. But like, why do you paint things the way you do? Okay, and how? Well, uh, I try, well, from what you know, that I, I have been interested, you know, and fascinated with regards to you know, various history histories, you know, of art coming from various cultural backgrounds, you know, cultural heritages um, being what we are, you know, as Chinese South Africans mm. in South Africa. So we've, uh, well, personally, we found ourselves influenced from many different directions. If you look at, you know, my mark making, they embody a kind of really calligraphic way of, you know, painting, even, you know, when I squeeze the paint straight out, out of the tube. You know, it refers to a lot of um, direct marks. You know, when you're thinking about Chinese calligraphic writing or painting, uh, it's, it's a very direct, okay, and then immediate way of, of gaining a mark onto paper. Like, I'm also really happy that you started teaching. I mean, you know, I remember when I started learning, um, teaching martial arts, I realized how much I didn't know, but I also realized that how much I can learn from my students. Mm. And that's always an amazing thing. Okay, so I was, I was really stoked to, uh, to hear you start teaching. Do you, I don't know if you know that I, I framed your palette. Yeah, so okay, <laughs> that's one of, my, uh, one of my favorite things to look at every day. Okay. Really, I think that means a lot <laughs> to me on my side. When you don't see someone for a long time, 
It's one of those things you went about seeing people develop. It made me really happy to see Shelton, you know, as being a mentor for people of young minds, you know, and he's influencing these young minds to be creative. So seeing Shelton in his, in that new environment made me really happy. And you're such a workhorse. And how long does it take to do all of these? With the art practice, um, I think it is uh, a deeply uh, internalized uh, process and in that I, I have found that students who have come to, uh, to study very often are trying to understand their place in society and they're trying to understand themselves at the same time. And uh, in Sheldon's painting, uh, one has seen him negotiating both being, living in South Africa, but being Chinese. And um, I think both uh, he and Lee have had to find their way within the complicated history of um, this country in which they have grown up, which has affected all of us for many generations. This is Shelton's palette that I uh, acquired from fourth year. I framed up because I thought it was an absolutely stunning piece of work uh, in itself. Uh, this is my second year photography work. Um, it was a montage that we all had to do. And, um, and then I used that to uh, translate into a lino print. And this lino print, uh, this is only a test print. I just kept it. Uh, I, uh, I, I just like the way it looks uh, even now, but I actually made uh, the Sassel Top 100 signatures for this print. This is the Sassel New Signatures Top 100 uh, works. Okay. Okay, so my work yeah, that I made Top 100 with was here, and it's called Mindfulness. And the sucker for signed books. Okay, so this is by, signed by William Kentridge. President Mandela signed this book for me. This was our second project. Carl made us draw animal skulls. Yeah. This is a rhinoceros skull. Yeah. And then the hippo skull. This is the first skull I drew yeah. in charcoal. Carl always wanted us to see like us as a, as a mechanical structure for who we are. Yeah, so this skull actually, funny enough, also became a reference for my printing practice during first year. And it prompted me for, to do some work in second year and then eventually into third year where I worked at the Evolutionary Studies Institute. I'm probably standing to, next to one of the most valuable, probably the most valuable uh, hominin fossil on Earth. This is the tongue child, and basically this fossil is evidence of humankind originating from Africa. And I remember at, at the end of first year, we, our class was invited to Coronel's house. And Carl has this incredible Alexis Preller painting. So, um, 
this is my bedroom that uh, I think it's a long time since. Uh, yes, <laughs> it has. Gee, I, I always forget how beautiful the the prella is. It's a work called "You'll Never Know," and uh, it it's he speaks about the skull as the architecture of consciousness, so that the skull. Um, the cavity within the skull is where we perceive um, uh, who we are, um, the world around us and the universe. So um, all this mental activity happens within that cave, within, within the mind. You know, it's been such a central piece in, in my life. You know, it's here in my bedroom. It's the first thing I see in the morning and the last thing. And, uh, you know, it, it is beautiful that it, uh, that it questions this nature of consciousness, but it also is a reminder of, of our, the temporal nature of, of life, as skulls always have been. You know, when I think of it now, about where humans came from, it also got me thinking about where I come from. And I realized it was difficult to speak out about being discriminated in South Africa because we weren't white enough and then we weren't black enough. And it just felt like there wasn't a platform for us to speak. And, and it was through that that made me realize, you know, it's really important for me to not forget also where I came from, which is why um, I am proud to be a Chinese South African. And Chinese South African is very important. I'm South African, but I'm a Chinese person in South Africa. I just remember after I finished my final exam at, uh, in my fourth year, I had literally sat in my exam space and I had a good cry. I couldn't believe that I had actually accomplished something by myself. I know Carl mentored me, but you know, ultimately it was my own path. But also after that, there, that's also where I met Gita. So Gita was a student of one of our other instructors, uh, and. I suppose, okay, like I... I met you at a grading. Yes. Yeah. Very And you were so, so nervous. Yeah, so I'd, I suppose I'd officially taken over my father's school and I was sort of the first grading I was running without him supervising. And that's the first time I saw Gita. Yeah. Um, nothing came about from that, though. Yeah. Our whole family's in climate change or environmental yeah, work. Yeah, so, so I'm yeah. very lucky to have met him like Gita, whose family is so, so active like that. So I suppose we both have been involved in the love for wildlife for since kids. Yeah. You know, it was already in, uh, inevitable that I would eventually take over. And my father and I, we had some conversations about that already. Circle. How big, how big is this? Cover your face. You know, and I do remember that, you know, my father says, ultimately, you need to be yourself. No two people are the same, not even father and son. It, it has been something hard to come to grips with, you know, especially since I, when I took over the school. It, many people 
who were his students are now people I need to take care of. And I'm very lucky they've been very accepting like that. The important thing for him is that he must be proud of himself. Everybody's going to find their own way, like to look at their things in their way as well. So in many ways, uh, like Shakespeare says, uh, you know, oft times things are neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. There is such an enormous amount of discipline and knowledge embedded in these, you know, Tai Chi processes. He doesn't just teach it. When he teaches us, he, you know, it's also his energy in the room that actually makes the class what it is. So, um, and it makes complete sense that the, the degree that he was doing with us, the four years of study, would reconnect him with something that may have gone through its own, through its own kind of crisis and processes of questioning. I think if one sees his involvement with the with Tai Chi and his own students and the transformative effect that that has on people, um, it is just part of who he is, and um, that he, he he has a kindness and a philosophical uh, way of being in the world, which um, I think also comes from uh, a a deep background uh, of his family. And of course, his Chinese ancestry, which has uh, a great mental capacity, this capacity to work with the body in a philosophical way um, and to be practically engaged in the world. After I graduated, it made me realize that this degree actually made me find out who I really was again. You know, for a very long time, especially post my divorce, I was, I was in limbo. I, like, I just, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my goals were. I didn't know relationship-wise what would happen to me. In many ways, when I think of it now, this degree in fine arts very much saved my life in, 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 a, lot of, in a lot of ways. I don't know how I afford it. <laughs> <laughs> a good teacher is someone who who opens your eyes and then you can in your own way see clearly what and how to go about your life in a positive manner. They say when the student is ready the master will appear. And both my father and Carl played a big part in, in that for me. I still have your ideas in my mind. <laughs> <laughs>